We're talking about authority. Thanks for joining us uh, this week in our Relational Wisdom series. And you might think, well, that's a bit of a weird topic to do. What's authority got to do with relationships or friendships and that sort of thing? Well, what I'm going to focus on today is actually stewarding authority, doing authority, rather as opposed to sort of our attitude in general towards authorities. Many of us, if not most of us, will, or at some point in our lives, will have a position of authority, whether that's in the workplace, perhaps, and maybe you, you, if you make a decision that affects other people, there's a relationship dynamic there and that's, that has to do with authority. Uh, for others of you, maybe it's in the home, maybe you're a parent, and that is one of the key relationships in your life, and you're an authority there. So how do you steward that well? How do you do that well? The society in which we live doesn't help us with this because so many of the sort of the messages, the stories that are around us speak to us about authority in very negative terms. Often the news stories that we read about are much to do with authority when it's done badly, whether it's governments, institutions, businesses where there is perhaps corruption or people have used power to oppress or harass others. And it gives us the impression that actually authority, that's a bad thing, that's a destructive force uh, in society. And when it's not sort of real life news stories, Perhaps even the, the fictional stories, the, the TV, the films that we uh, watch, they're so often to do with, well, the authority, they're the, they're the bad guys. That's the, the obstacle, and the hero is the one that subverts that authority or overcomes that authority. And that's presented as a good thing. And that's really linked to the fact that we have very, probably individualistic society. So we have a sort of natural skepticism towards anyone who you know, tells us what to do. We don't like that kind of idea. So add all those things together. And when we think of authority, perhaps we're thinking, well, it's, it's probably a necessary evil. Okay, we accept that there should be some authority. We do need laws. We do need governments, I suppose. We do need teachers in schools, that sort of thing. So it needs to be some authority. But perhaps the best way is just have as little authority as possible. It's a kind of necessary evil that we tolerate. So those kind of ideas that shapes our understanding of authority. Therefore, when we assume a role, where it's in the workplace or in the home, of authority, probably where we're tempted to go with it is to feel, uh, at best, maybe a slight embarrassment about the authority. Oh, I'm, I'm the boss here, but I don't really want to be a, a boss, or I don't really want to tell other people what to do. Or at worst, we just completely step back from it. Maybe we have given a role, but we don't really want to use authority at all, so we just abdicate our authority. What I want to say today is that actually that's not beneficial to you and it's not beneficial actually to other people that you lead, that you have some authority over. The Bible says something different about authority. The Bible actually encourages us to steward authority well and when we do that we can actually bring good outcomes, we can bring a blessing to other people. Now, the Bible gives us many examples of authority, some good and some bad. And the passage that I've chosen to speak from today is one that is not a good example. It's the first king of Israel, Saul. He's given the authority by God to lead God's people, but he doesn't steward it well. 
And what we see in this passage you're just about to hear is God's uh, prophet Samuel comes to challenge Saul and say, actually, because you have not used this authority well, God's actually going to take it away from you and give it to someone else. So that's the passage from 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to listen to it right now. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So what's going on here? God has given Saul the responsibility to lead the people. And the thing that he is supposed to be leading them into is obeying God, doing exactly what God has told them to do. And in this instance, Saul kind of partially obeys God. They're engaged in a war with this enemy people that are under God's judgment. And God says, go about it this way. And they kind of engage with it and they win the war. But actually, Saul, as we just heard, lets the people just kind of do what they want. They plunder the spoil. They take things for themselves when they shouldn't have done. And God specifically said that's not what they were supposed to do. So Saul has the badge of authority. He's the king. But really, he's just letting the people do as they please. Even though this example is from thousands of years ago, this is very sadly exactly what authority looks like in many homes and many workplaces around the country today. There are people that are designated, you're the authority, you're the boss. But actually, for whatever reason, what happens is people just let others do what they want. They shy away from taking on the authority and abdicate the authority. I know this from personal experience. It stuck out to me when I was um, a school teacher. I taught in a secondary school for a few years. And as the teacher in the room, 
you want to set your stall out and say, this is what we're going to do today, okay? Here's the work we're going to do. This is the topic. Let me explain how to do it. And this is the work I'm going to set. And you're going to do these exercises. And you're going to sit there. And you're going to sit there. And you're going to sit there. And this is the time frame. Here's what I want you to do. Right, let's go. And what happens when you set your stall out as the authority in the room, as a teacher, immediately that authority gets challenged and potentially eroded by the barrage of questions that come at you. Oh, sir, can I go and sit next to my friend over there? I promise I'll do more work if I'm sitting over there. Oh, sir, you said to do these questions, but I've only done half of them. Is that okay? Or I was going to do the work, but then my leg was sore and I got a bit distracted, so I've not really done it. Is, is that okay? And as a teacher, you're, you're tempted just to go, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. And what your authority becomes or it can become is just sort of stamping authority and uh, stamping approval on letting people do what they want to do and that happened to me sadly many times and the reason for it is because it's it's hard to hold that line it's much easier just to sort of give in a little bit and let people do what they want but ultimately you know that's not that's not beneficial to people but it's not easy being, authority, uh, being the authority. It's easier just to kind of let people do as they wish. It could be because we just don't want to have those, you know, 300 conversations per lesson with every student and try and hold the line. It could be because, well, similar to what Saul said here, actually he said, I feared the people. Now, it's not quite clear whether uh, Saul was afraid that the people might rise up against him, or maybe it's just he feared what they might think of him if he sort of said, no, this is what we're going to do, and was more specific with his instruction. But either way, that's a common thing as well. We're in authority, but, oh, if I say this, I make this decision, if I say, no, we're going to do this and not do this, how are people going to think of me? It's easier not to make that type of decision. Or maybe we just sort of fear the confrontation. I don't really like challenging people. It's not very comfortable. It's a very awkward thing to do to say, you've done that wrong. This is what you need to do instead. So whether that's in the workplace or whatever, sometimes we, we, we shy away from that uh, as well. You might also say, but actually, isn't that, isn't that more relational? Anyway, we're talking about relational wisdom here. So no one wants a boss that's just telling everyone what to do. Isn't it more relational just to build relationships with those people in our team and, and be a mate, be a friend to them? You know, that's the, that's the boss that, we, that people like, isn't it? A boss that's just a, a friend, really. I suppose I've created an environment where I'm a friend first, a boss second, probably entertain a third. No, that's David Brent from The Office. It's laughable when we take it to that extreme. We know that's not the way to do it. Because a boss who's more interested in being uh, a friend and, and making everyone laugh than, than actually being a boss, in the short term, that's, that's funny, maybe that feels good. But in the long term, you know, that is not conducive to a great workplace, actually achieving the things that you're there to do in the end. Now, we know, actually, we do need bosses to be bosses and not abdicate from that. When a, an authority, when a boss acts like that, you know they're not going to make the decisions that are necessary. That's one thing. Secondly, they're not going to help everyone to reach the goal. If the boss is more interested in just pleasing everyone than actually achieving the task, what we're set out to do, whether that's in the home or in the workplace, again, that's not beneficial to everyone. 
And thirdly, and think most importantly on this point, if we abdicate authority that we have been given, it's not that that authority suddenly disappears. Actually, what happens, it just shifts to someone else. And you know what this is like. You have sat in a meeting probably where there's someone who is leading the meeting, someone who's the boss, someone whose ultimate decision it is, whatever is being discussed. But when that person abdicates, what happens is someone else assumes the authority. Someone with the loudest voice, someone with the, the, the strongest opinion that no one wants to disagree with, or maybe just the person that just is most easily offended by whatever's happening. The power shifts to that person. At the end of the day, that person has not been given the responsibility to make the decision, and there's probably a reason for that. And so what it leads to is an outcome that's not in the best interest of everyone. No, no, there is wisdom in leaders leading and bosses doing what they're supposed to be and being a boss. I say all that to say this, that the solution to bad authority, and let's be frank, there is a huge amount of examples of bad authority, but the solution to bad authority is not just less authority, not just getting rid of all authorities, because we can't actually do that. No, the solution to bad authority is good authority, to steward authority and do it well. And this is the Bible's wisdom to us on this point. This is the thing really to take away from this message that if you have a role of authority, what does God say to you today? He says, use that authority. If you are a leader, lead. If you are a parent, be a parent. That's what God wants you to do. And he wants to help you to do that. Because when we steward that authority according to God's word and God's wisdom, we can actually bring blessing to those that we lead and those that we have authority over. Because it is a good thing and leads to good outcomes if we steward it well. The Bible says that all authority is actually given by God. It says that, Romans 13, verse 1. So if you're in a role of authority, even if you think, well, you know, maybe you know, being a parent, okay, that's God-given authority, or being a senior leader or a pastor, that's God-given authority. No, the Bible says all authority. So even if you're in a workplace and you have some level of authority, your decisions affect other people, you need to recognize God has given you that and he's actually given you a gift to steward it, and he wants to help you to steward that well to bless other people. For many of us, the instinctive reaction to having authority can be, oh, I'm, I don't really feel qualified. I feel a bit guilty about having this role. And it can be even the case that we assume a role, maybe we get promoted or we, we get in charge of something, and it feels quite accidental. It feels like, well, the person that was doing it before, they had to leave, so now I'm doing it. We can feel totally unqualified. And again, that can make us feel like, oh, I, I, can't, step, I can't really take authority here because it's, it's not really my... No, if you, it's not an accident to God. If you have authority, God says, his word says, it's, it's a gift that you can steward. And if you do steward, it will be a blessing to other people. Saul responded in that type of way. I mean, Samuel calls it out in him right at the beginning of that passage we just heard. Samuel says to him, though you are little in your own eyes. 
That's a good description for, for many of us when we assume a role of authority. We think, I don't deserve this. We, we're little in our own eyes. But Samuel recognizes that in Saul, but then what does he go on to say? But actually the Lord anointed you king over Israel. So you may think of yourself very small, but no, God's given you responsibility. And that's what God wants us to realize as well. If you have a responsibility, it's not an accident to God. He's given you that responsibility. And it can feel like a burden. I know it can feel like a burden to carry. And especially perhaps you're parenting through lockdown. It can feel like a burden. It's not easy thing to hold and carry. And you're hearing me say, you know, be a parent. It's, I know it's not easy to step into that. But God wants to help you. God is with you. And actually being less of a parent is not going to be a blessing to your children. Actually, to be a parent in this time is more important than ever. And he wants to help you in that. It can feel like a burden, but it's actually grace. Because if we, if we understand authority in the way that God gives it to us, we realize we don't deserve it. We don't, we don't deserve anything from God. We're sinners before God, but he has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. So each day, whether you're getting up to go into the workplace and lead others or whether you're parenting your children or whatever authority you have, you need to recognize, yeah, I don't deserve this. And God, I need your help in this. Help me to lead. Help me to parent. That's a, that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. And God will help us. Because the reality is the people that we do lead, they need the authority that we bring. If you're a team leader in your workplace, your team needs you to set the agenda. To say, no, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to achieve. This is how we're going to do it. They need those boundaries. They need those expectations. Your, your children, if you're a parent, need that as well. Children need those boundaries. They, it's not serving them to give them the authority and just do <laughs> them to do whatever they want. That is not helpful to them. It might feel great for them for five minutes, but it's not going to help them in the long term. No, they need that authority stewarded well. Here's one. Let's, let's go into a bit more detail on this because I think it's important. The best authority, how do we use authority really well? The best authority is proactive, not reactive. You see, this is what Saul doesn't do. We're learning by Saul's bad example here. For Saul, the agenda is kind of vague. We're going to engage in this war and hopefully we'll win. God might be with us. Hope he is. But he doesn't lead his people. In one sense, you could say he tells the people, this is what we're going to do. But he doesn't say this is how we're going to do it. And what happens is they win the war, but the people just end up doing what they want and taking the spoilers they shouldn't have done. But good leaders are more proactive than that. Good authorities say this is what we're going to achieve, but also this is how we're going to do it. And so whether you, know, you might be a team leader at work or you're an employee running a business, you say this is what we're going to do. It's good to be clear about the goal, but also it's good to be clear about this is how we're going to be doing it. You're setting culture. You're saying, this is the expectations that we can have. We're going to work this way and we're going to do it supportively. We're going to collaborate with one another. We're going to be honest if things go wrong and we're going to seek help from one another. And you set those very clear expectations and, you know, and, and set those boundaries in place that helps people because in that kind of environment, people flourish, right? I know where I stand here. I know I can ask for help. And they can flourish. They can do the work in a good way. That's what good leaders bring to a workplace. And it's the same in the home as well. 
When I'm saying being authority in the home, it's not just like, you're going to get told off for this and this and this, so don't do that, that and that. Okay, that's part of it. But actually, good leaders in the home, good parents are going to set expectations of the positive outcomes. These are the values at home that we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate when we forgive one another. We're going to celebrate encouragement. We're going to celebrate honesty. And you set it out in a positive way. You use your authority in a positive way to set the culture in your home or your workplace. And that is so important because when we don't use authority in that way, when we just say, oh, let's just wait and see what happens, we end up using our authority reactively and it's going to be more destructive and more unhelpful later on. What does that look like? Well, it reminds me when a while ago, um, a few years ago, I think, before, in the lead up to Christmas, I was in a, a supermarket, I think it was, and there was a parent there with a child and the child is messing about and being silly and the parent is getting exasperated. Many of us have been in this situation. But I, this, it stands out to me because the parent says to the child, stop being silly, just stand still. Otherwise, all the Christmas presents, we're sending them back. They're all going back. And in that moment, I had tremendous sympathy for the, for the parent because we've all been in that type of situation. We just want our kids to be sensible for five minutes. But what was happening was the parent is never going to do that. We all, we all know that. They're never going to send all the Christmas presents back and their kids get nothing. But what is happening there is that the parent is thinking, I need to exert my authority here. And they just go for a power play, just go for something that's completely exaggerated in order to hopefully bring things in line. And that's maybe a comical example, but other examples can be more sinister than that. When a boss or someone who has a position of authority, things get out of hand, they think, right, I'm going to grab hold of authority. And they've not really been using authority in a positive way before, but they use it in a negative way now. So I need to get things in line here. So they threaten, intimidate, shout or whatever. And that is the way I'm going to exert my authority. And when we use authority just in that reactive way, it's going to create a culture of fear, intimidation. And that is not the Bible's version of authority. That doesn't help people. That's not authority that serves people and helps them to flourish. No, quite the opposite. You might know what it's like to have a boss. The expectations are not quite clear about what you should do, but you know whatever you do, don't do something wrong. Don't make them angry because they know they're prone to fly off the handle. And that when authority is only used in that reactive way, it's not going to be helpful, whether that's in the workplace, in the home or whatever situation. Now, we need to use authority proactively and say, now, this is the agenda. This is where we're going. And that helps and that serves people. And ultimately, Saul didn't do that, but Jesus Christ does. And he is our ultimate example of authority because he is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the powerful, wonderful king. Through him, everything was made. How does Jesus use his authority? Jesus uses authority and he steps into our world to take on our biggest challenge, our biggest obstacle, our sin. You see, great leaders make decisions. And the God of this Bible is a God who decides to come into our story, come into the world. 
Great leaders are ones who pursue a goal and you look at Jesus' life and there are many opportunities for distraction, people trying to pull him this way or that and Jesus pursues his goal. He knows humanity needs a saviour and that journey leads him to the cross and on the cross he dies for our sin. On the cross, after the cross, he has risen again to give us new life in him. And great leaders cause others to flourish. And this is how God has used his authority in relation to us, for us to experience the love of God. And it's important to say before I finish that Christ is not just our example in this. Because if Christ is the example of how to lead well and how to use authority, well, none of us are going to match up to that. All of us, myself included, when we think of this topic of authority, we'll come to the same conclusion that Saul comes to at the end of this passage. I have sinned. I've transgressed. I've listened to the voice of others rather than the voice of God. We all fall short in this. How does God react to us? How does God react when we don't lead the way we should? When we don't parent the way we should? When we abdicate what we should do? Is God reactive? Is he going to fly off the handle at us? No, what we see is through Christ, God has been proactive with us. We come to God through Jesus Christ. We realize he's actually given us what we already need before we even realized it. We come to God and we find Christ has already forgiven me. Forgiveness has already been won for me. I can come and receive it afresh. I can be restored and I can be commissioned again to serve and bless others through leading. So let's do that. Let's let's lead others with grace, knowing that we've been forgiven, knowing that we've been commissioned by God and bring blessing to others. But most of all, let's worship this great King Jesus who is the ultimate authority but has used his authority to bring us into the love of God so that we might flourish and be blessed in knowing him. Amen.